podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hell on Heels. Oh, I don't know what I just clicked on my computer, but hello. Um, I'm Bryce. I'm Brianna. I'm Amanda. And hello again. Hello. Hi. How are y'all doing today? I'm fabulous. I finally painted our cabinet doors. They're not done, but they're mostly done. Does that count for something? It definitely does. You you did it and you succeeded. And I mean, mm-hmm. hey, you'll be done in, you know, I mean, you succeeded in painting most of them. I don't know if that really counts as <laughs> succeeding because they have been off the cabinets for a few months now. <laughs> We've just been procrastinating. You didn't have a specific time period to get them done by. Oh, and I did. therefore you succeed. <laughs> you, yes. You're just you're just shutting me down. I'm trying to pipe you up, girl. Come on. I know. Just shut I up know. and take the compliment. I can't when I know the truth. I do, however, <laughs> I put a picture on the drive for you guys so that you could appreciate how sweet my dogs are. So you guys just go to the drive. I put a folder under my name that's titled Doggos. <laughs> I hope you know how pissed they were that I was taking that photo of them. And they have got their Halloween bandanas on. So and better. What is that? That's not a beagle, is it? But it kind of has the same. Everyone thinks he's a giant beagle and he's not. He is a red tick coon hound and he's the sweetest boy mm-hmm. ever. Actually, he's a really big asshole, but he's very sweet. I was going to gonna me. say, he does not you're, look sweet in that photo. Yeah, your <laughs> red tick coon hound looks pissed AF. Um, he had been sitting and staying for a solid five minutes waiting for his beef stick while I adjusted the other dog. So he was okay. living. Literally, how dare you? I know. He was not <laughs> thrilled with me, to say the least. But I just wanted to show that. And they've got their cute little bandanas on. The orange one says, too old for this sheet. And that has a little dog okay. with, like, a ghost on it. And then the hound, his, has a chillin' like a villain. Because I'm that, that for, for baby mama right there. <laughs> Fine. Fine. Still need to get Simba a costume, because Jack and I are doing Harley Quinn and the Joker for Halloween. Think, help me think of things that we could do for it. Like, Harley Quinn doesn't have a pet or anything like that. Yeah, she does. Neither she has two joke. hyenas. You're right. I don't remember. Bud and Lou. Yes, I do. Because Bud she named him after Abbott and Costello. Bud. Okay, so I don't know. Bud or Lou. I don't know. But we'll, we'll definitely make him... I don't even know how to make a hyena costume for a cat. What? I mean, I was thinking of just, like, sewing him something together, but, like, that's... What? How, the, how do I even do that? That's what Amazon Prime is for. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Let's look up right now. Okay. First one to find a hyena costume for a cat. Let's go. And we're back. Um, consensus on <laughs> the costume was that we couldn't find a hyena one, but we instead found a prisoner costume. So that's that's something. Not 
I'm not sure what, what we'll end up doing, but I mean, obviously we're not going to take him to the bars and stuff, but for the little house party that we're having, I think it'd be kind of cute for him to have a little costume. Never know. I'm not that dedicated. They, my dogs have bandanas. That's it. Oh, my dogs get nothing. <laughs> well, that's kind of rude. They'll probably get a treat on Halloween. That's that's what you get. You can have some pumpkin treats. Mm, my dogs pumpkin get a treat. Treats. Every day of their life. How dare you not give them multiple treats a day? Well, they get them with the the PM food. But, I mean, at that point, if you get it every night, is it still a treat? Oh, yeah. Especially when you say the <laughs> word treat and they come running. I mean, I could test oh. this out. All I have to do is say you guys want a treat. Oh, they don't know the treat word. They know the C-O-O-K-I-E word. Oh, they know cookie. Bentley mm-hmm. Benz, you want a treat? Come here. I hear skittering in the other room. <laughs> and here's one. Oh. I'll get it for you afterwards. It's fine. Okay. Anyways, how are you guys? I'm doing pretty good. Just got my senior photos done. Um, waiting for them to come back. I guess I'm just kind of chilling. I've had a really long day, though. been doing a lot of homework. But other than that, I'm good. How are y'all doing? I have done nothing today. I put the clothes in the washing machine, and that's as far as I got. Yeah, that's what I need to do. <laughs> I wish, girl, that I had... Mm, my day was just so busy. Yeah, my day was just painting, and then I did a load of laundry. So Yeah, that's all I did. We lost another officer at work this week. And it has been insanely busy. So I did see your Twitter post about that. It's follow you on Twitter. What? What is your Twitter account? Wait, I follow the podcast. Well, that's how I saw it because I don't have a Twitter myself. I saw it off of the podcast Twitter account. Do I even follow the podcast Twitter account? Speaking of, if you guys don't follow us on Twitter, you probably should follow us on Twitter. Hell on Hales podcast is the finger. I don't know what the Twitter terminology is. Anyways, anything else? Any fun updates? Things and such? I don't think so. Nothing out of the ordinary. No one won the lotto this week? I forget we have a lottery here. I'm going to rub that in my face. I don't have a lottery here. Um, We drive to... Wyoming once a year and buy lottery tickets while we're there. We'd never win, but it's fine. Hey, I mean, it's worth a shot, right? Yeah, I'm just not used to having one, so. so okay, we always well. have like, a huge one in Texas, and so my 18th birthday, my aunts, like, literally all they bought me was, like, $100 worth of lotto tickets. I think that's what I remember. Oh, and they also yeah. got... Not $100. It was probably like $30 worth of lotto tickets and like some Lululemon leggings or something like that. I'm not 100% sure. but Can I just have the $30 instead? Oh, I feel- um, it, was, it was pretty <laughs> fun, actually. I think I ended up winning like $5 or something. So mm-hmm. it was nice, you know, on your 18th birthday to get to, you know, oh, be able were- to like, cash the lotto tickets off and... Yeah, they were scratch-offs. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking she just got you, like, Powerball or something. And I was like, that's... Okay. The scratch-off makes more sense. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I feel like we've literally spent like almost 45 minutes just talking about like nothing. <laughs> oh, we have. We should probably get started before <laughs> before it's midnight. So, so Amanda, yeah. you have your true crime story. We're excited to hear it. I do, and it is another doozy. It's this one I had to step away and come back a couple different times. This one was fun. You gonna be able to read it all? Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of excited too because I like your expressions that y'all make. Okay. Oh, excuse me. Are you judging our faces? Severely. I'm fucking rude. <laughs> Actually, I don't mind as long as you don't make a huge, huge deal about it, you know? But I mean, hey, you can you can call me out in the middle of a podcast for my amazing facial expressions. <laughs> Okay, so without further ado, this is the story of Mary Catherine Knight. Or Catherine Knight. What? Catherine, I already fucked that up. This is the story of Catherine Mary Knight. Okay, are you sure? 100%. I'm sorry. I don't know what I read right then because it says Catherine Mary Knight. Okay, so if y'all want to look at that first photo... I would love to, except for the fact that I closed the webpage, so. Jesus Christ. I, know. don't start with me. Okay, so a woman, probably in her 20s or 30s, and she has very curly, what looks like red hair. Mm -hmm. um, she wears glasses, her tongue is out, she looks like she's almost just, like, taking a selfie, and kind of just posing for the picture, her her head is tilted, and it looks like, guys, if y'all can remember the Instagram filter called Sepia, S-E-P-I-A, it looks like that, just kind of a yellowed version of a photo that she would take today, and it probably looks like it was taken in the 1980s or so. You can tell it's an older picture for sure. She's, do she's doing yeah. this. Mm -hmm. Which is what yeah. they do she's nowadays. Her they go, out. That's that's what Bryce is just doing. She's sticking her tongue out. She was described as a very boisterous, outgoing, like just a loud personality. She was born in Tenterfield, New South Wales, on October twenty fourth of nineteen fifty five. She was the younger of twin girls. Her sister Joy being one of the only two people she ever claimed to be fond of. The second person was her uncle, Oscar Knight. He was a champion horseman who unfortunately committed suicide in 1969 when Catherine was only 14. She claims that his ghost still visits her to this day. She was brought up in a dysfunctional family, to say the least. Her mother, Barbara Ruffin, was married to Jack Ruffin, and they lived in Aberdeen. And it was a small, conservative rural town. They had four sons together before Barbara started having an affair with Ken Knight, a friend and actually a co-worker of her husband, Jack's. Both families were well-known, so the scandal forced Ken and Barbara to skip town and move a little down the way to Maury. Barbara left all four sons in Aberdeen. The two oldest stayed with their, uh, stayed with their father, and the two youngest were sent to live with an aunt in Sydney. So in Maury... Uh, Barbara and Ken went on to have four more children. 
1959, when Catherine was four years old, Jack Ruffin died. So Barbara's two older sons that had been living with him moved in with them as well. So we're now at two adults and six kids. That's a lot. Yes. I want like four kids, but that's like my limit. Three kids is like, I'll take three kids, maybe, maybe four. I grew up knowing that you can't let them outnumber you. So two is my max. Because at that point, they outnumber you. Well, I mean, I guess at three, they outnumber you. Yeah. I just, I love kids. I used to want three. And I have the stepson. And then I have this one that I'm brewing. And we're good. I'm done with this. So Catherine's father, Ken, was described as a quiet yet strict man. He was said to be an alcoholic who used violence and intimidation to rape her mom up to 10 times a day. Although he would later deny these allegations. I'm sorry. I'm laughing at 10 times a day. I'm sorry. I'm laughing at your faces. I just opens my mouth in complete and utter shock. And I'm pretty sure, Bryce, did you end up doing the same? I I don't know what I did. I (laughs) reacted. It's okay. I'm recording. So (laughs) that is he just. So what you're essentially saying is that he used manipulation to rape her mother roughly about 10 times a day. He used violence and intimidation. There was no manipulation. It was just straight like, this is going to happen. Now, he later denied that. Catherine was very close to her mother, who was described as a firecracker. And people said that her and Catherine acted really similarly. Catherine's mother used to tell her daughters about the abuse in detail. And also how much she hated men and sex. Why would you tell your children about that in detail? I wish I could tell you, but I don't, I guess she needed a friend. I mean, then make some friends at the damn bar. Like, go to a fucking bar and drink your broken heart away and just talk to the bartender if you can't find any girlfriends. But that is not okay. Do you by chance know how old the kid, like the oldest kid was at this point? Um, I don't know. I know that um, apparently this happened like as long as Catherine could remember. It was just normal to them. Like, you know how some parents are just a little too oh, I, close I, and there's I know. no, I've experienced there's no like, mm-hmm boundaries yeah Yeah. i need those boundaries thank you mom and dad for having goddamn boundaries with me because i i can't yeah i can't imagine Catherine once complained to her mother about one of her partners wanting to do something sexual that she didn't and her mother told her to put up with it and stop complaining Uh -uh. Catherine also claims to have been sexually assaulted by numerous family members not including her father So he wasn't involved up until the age of 11. This was later accepted by the psychiatrist who, spoiler alert, interviewed Catherine during her trial. The details were thought to be exaggerated. However, the story was confirmed by multiple family members. Very serious question for you. Why do you do this to me? I'm I'm not even done. Oh, shit. Okay. As a child, Catherine was said to find stray animals, birds, dogs, and cats, and bring them home. They weren't allowed to have pets, so she would actually nurse them back to health and then release them. Her younger brother described her as very loving and motherly towards him. He said he pr- she practically raised him. 
In high school, Catherine was a model student and she got awards for good behavior, but she was also described as a loner and a bully, especially when she was angered. She would apparently just flip at nothing, at little things. She would just get, she would go into a rage. She once assaulted a boy with a weapon and on another occasion, she was actually injured by a teacher who was later found to be acting in self-defense against Catherine. Do you by chance know what the teacher said? I'm just curious. No, I couldn't find it. I looked in like multiple sources and a lot of people said that she got hurt when he was defending himself, well, but the, they never said like, what for she did. Himself to defend himself. No, like she attacked him and she ended up getting hurt. I couldn't find why she attacked him, but that that was the ruling that apparently the teacher acted in self-defense. I mean, I get the feeling that he has a valid reason to act in his self-defense. I'm not there yet, but I do get the feeling he has a valid fucking reason. More than likely, based on my research, it's highly probable. So at the age of 15, she left school without ever learning how to read or write. And she actually really quickly got hired at a clothing factory. And then a year later... I'm just a little confused. So you said that she was like a top A student in school. She was just a loner, right? And that was in high school. But then you just said that she left school Mm -hmm. without learning how to read or write. What did she do in high school that wasn't reading or writing? I guess she just skated by. Because she she left when she was... Yeah, she left when she was 15. Well, and shit, she, if I could have I mean, skated by in high school when I was 15, like, damn, I would have gotten into, like, fucking Harvard. Shit. <laughs> she later proved to be able to read and write, but not nowhere near as well as what she should have. So she was But if she got, like, straight A's, yeah. so what the fuck? Oh, was that based on her age? No, she was a model student and she got awards for behavior. Not necessarily her grades or her knowledge. Oh, She did okay. until somebody okay, okay. pissed her off. Fair enough. Until the incident with the teacher. So she worked at a clothing factory for a year. And then she got her dream job cutting up internal organs like liver and kidneys at a local abattoir. And an abattoir is just, it's a slaughterhouse. It's a fancy name for slaughterhouse. Why That's is her that her dream job? Dream? I I know yes. that she don't know this. I don't know why I'm asking. Why is that her dream job? From what I read, this was like um I guess for the time and in the city like the city was known for their abattoir. So maybe it was just like the place to work, maybe they had good benefits. Maybe she's crazy. Maybe it was all of the above. I mean, I remember you saying that she would bring home dead animals and all that jazz. And no, she brought home live animals. Oh, she she brought home injured animals. I heard that right. Yeah, yeah, she brought home injured animals and she nursed them back to health and let them go. Now she's dealing with the dead animals. So once she got hired there. She advanced really quickly, and she was promoted to boning, where she was giving her own set of butcher's knives. And she was so proud of these that she immediately took them home 
hung them above their bed, above her bed, because she said that they would always be handy if she needed them. And this continued everywhere she lived until she got incarcerated. Question, isn't she supposed to be using those for work? Yes. And she's hanging them above her bed? That doesn't feel like it's a very good place yeah, I was for them to say, be when you need them kind of for work. Take, like take them down every she single took day them. and bring them into work and then take them back and hang them up on her bed? That feels like a lot more work than anyone should be able to put in for that. This was like what she was most proud of. These were her prized possessions. So in 1973, Catherine met David Stanford Kellett, a co-worker that drank heavily. Um, before working at the abattoir, he worked for the railways. And while working there, he witnessed his best friend be killed in a shunting accident. The what? And shunting i believe in the u.s we call it shifting it's basically when trains or train cars are moved from one rail to another or i think we call it switching i'm sorry later uh he was there when a train hit a school bus killing six kids he helped rescue the injured kids and he helped remove the bodies from the wreckage so People think those two accidents had a lot to do with his heavy drinking, understandably, honestly. He was later transferred to Muswellbrook. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. When he kept falling asleep while shunting and causing several derailments, his behavior got progressively worse and he was eventually fired, which is when he ended up at the abattoir. He befriended Catherine's brother and eventually started dating Catherine, although he was said to occasionally partner her sister. And I could not find any elaboration on this anywhere. So I don't know if this was done on purpose, if he was too drunk to tell the difference between the twins. What I have exactly no idea. You, what, yeah, you what do you mean by partner? I guess I'm American and I don't understand British slang. Oh, oh I understood that. He would hook up with her. They would do the nasty. Yeah, that too was in multiple sources, but that's they all left it at he would occasionally partner her sister. Um, I have a question on that. Uh-huh. I know you said there's no elaboration, <laughs> but her sister was okay with that? Her sister was like, come on over, big guy, it's fine? I assume because they it, it happened more than once, apparently. So maybe that was just something they were into. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, yeah, I can't. Melissa has her boyfriends. I have my boyfriends. I would be pissed if my sister would go over to my boyfriend. And I am most definitely certain that she would be pissed if I went over to her boyfriend for a night. Like, shit. <laughs> that is... Oh. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine being that close with a sibling. I don't want to be that close with what a sibling. What do you mean by close? No, thank you. Do you mean like mm -hmm. they share romantic partners and like it's first come first serve type of thing? Or do you mean like, no, I'm not okay with that? I'm saying like, I don't want to be that close to my siblings. Like, I don't, I don't want that in my relationship. I got you. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't. 
want that either. Yeah, I don't. I looked, y'all, I looked to figure out about that. And I really wish I could have found more. I don't know if you want to have found more. Touche. Um, I don't share well. So that's what I have to say. I don't either. <laughs> so it was also said that whenever Kellett got into a fight, Catherine was there swinging as his backup. She was known in Aberdeen to physically threaten anybody who pissed her off. I mean, she's a good homegirl then. Got your back. Oh, yeah. She was She was down to clown, I for mean, sure. I mean, at the same time, like, her mother literally, like, forced her into, what, having sex, like, at a very, very young age. And, I mean, she, her mother also, like, told her multiple times, apparently, about, like, her sex story and about how her father literally raped her like her mother never uh forced her into having sex though her mother just told her about when her dad would rape her like her mother barbara would tell Catherine about when Catherine's dad would rape barbara listen amanda we don't understand these concepts because we're drinking so (laughs) so they were soon engaged and upon hearing of this, Catherine's mother told Kellett, watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. She also told him that if he ever thought of cheating on her, that Catherine would kill him. Kellett reportedly laughed off the threat and decided to go through with the wedding regardless. Uh, I mean, isn't he already cheating on her with her sister? I saw in one other source, one or two sources that they cheated on each other constantly. Like he was constantly cheating on her and then she would constantly cheat on him as like a revenge. So probably oh, okay. it was not a healthy relationship. We're about to get into that. Not a healthy no, relationship whatsoever. Like you. Girl, I have not even scratched the surface. Please dive in. I'm ready. So the two got married in 1974. They pulled up to their wedding on Catherine's motorcycle with a heavily inebriated Kellett on the back. Catherine enjoyed sex, but she also used it as a way to control the men in her life. So that night, she wanted to have sex five times because her parents had sex five times on their wedding night. By sex five um, times, do you mean having sex five times, just having sex five times? Do you mean having sex five times that night? So, like, physically, yes. like, they had sex once, that they night. stopped. They waited, like, maybe 30 minutes, they had sex again, they stopped. We don't have those details, and I don't want to know the exact details. I, however, know five times. Why? Why would you want to be, like, your mom and dad? And first of all, why do you even know that your mom and dad had sex five times the night they were married? That's disgusting. I don't want to know that. As far as I'm concerned, my parents have never had sex, okay? Never. Ever. (laughs) Ever. In a way, I can kind of see it where, in a way, she thought that her mom and her dad's relationship was successful. Which is a completely fucked up point of view, but when you think about it, you would kind of want to portray that, right? But maybe that's not what she was thinking 100% whatsoever. I mean, I get that she doesn't know what a successful relationship is like because she's not been around one. However, 
I still don't want to know that detail about my parents in any way, shape, or form. That's disgusting. I would not want to know that detail. See? See? It's not just me. Well, rest assured, they did not have sex five times that night because Kellett was too drunk. So he fell asleep after only making love three times. And he woke up later that night to Catherine straddling him and trying to strangle him. He done pissed her off. (laughs) He just had to hold out for two more times. That's all he had to do. But no, he passed out instead. So she tried to choke him. So not shockingly, the marriage was very unhealthy and violent. Both were known to cheat on each other. Catherine cheating as revenge, like I said earlier. She was said to punch and hit him while they were driving, while he was driving the car. Hold on. That sounds like the worst plan. Why would you hit the person or punch the person that's in control of the vehicle that you are in? Because you know for a damn well fact that that person is not going to swerve off the road because you know that they're more concerned about your own safety than you damn, than you damn well are. Hit them hard enough and they're going to swerve, okay? <laughs> so on one occasion, Kellett came home late after reaching the finals in a dark competition at the bar. When he got home, Catherine, who was very pregnant at the time, had burned all of his clothes and shoes in the backyard. Then she hit him in the back of the head with a frying pan. Kellett ran to the neighbors, afraid it. for his... <laughs> what? She Rapunzeled it. <laughs> she Rapunzeled pan. it before Rapunzel. I'm glad that she's the original Rapunzel. Technically, though, she didn't have the long hair. But we'll just we'll just pretend like she did. We'll just pretend she can wear a wig. Kellett ran to the neighbors, afraid for his life, where he eventually collapsed and was later found to have a severe fracture in his skull. Police wanted to charge Catherine, uh, but she talked Kellett out of it. In May of 1976, shortly after Catherine gave birth to Melissa Ann, Kellett ran off to Queensland with another woman because he couldn't take the abuse anymore. Well, I can't blame him. Also, supposedly this woman was pregnant, so he had been cheating on her. Tired of the abuse, so he just ran off with the pregnant woman. Still can't blame him. (laughs) The day after he left, numerous people saw Catherine walking down Main Street with the newborn in a carriage, violently throwing it from side to side as she walked. So she was sent to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth and diagnosed with postnatal depression and spent several weeks recovering. He was when she throwing was... her child around? Has yes. she never heard of shaken babies? Maybe the issue is he, she has heard of shaken baby syndrome. Okay, actually, the thing is, shaken ba- baby syndrome really only came up in like the 1960s like, or something. But at the same time, that's completely like... She just shook her baby around in, like, a crib, and then she was diagnosed with postpartum depression? Like, that just, I mean, well. The town also knew that, you know, her husband left her, so I think they were like, you know, this woman's having a really hard time. Like, yeah, why are you doing this to your child? But also, you know, you're already struggling with this. Your husband left you. So they... Diagnosed her with the postnatal depression. I mean, if your kid is literally crying 24-7, 
not crying 24-7, but crying like eight out of seven of the days where you are asleep or awake or whatever, you know, for like an hour straight. Like, can you blame them? Yeah, you can blame them. (laughs) That child wants something. (laughs) They can't communicate with you. You don't just grab them and shake them. Noted. What if what if they were, for example, like teething or something, right? Okay, you that's a pacifier. Very... I don't know. Yeah, that's pacifier. I mean, a pacifier won't help. I mean, you need to get them something like cold for their like gums. You need to get them something that will numb their gums. You whiskey. need to get them like some sort of. No, no please don't give your child <laughs> no. whiskey. No, no, <laughs> that's the answer from the pregnant woman. You all. <laughs> No. Do not give that you child need to get whiskey. That will make like their entire mouth feel better. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a long ass process and I mean you need to understand that like they're in that stage of their life and they're teething. And at like literally the first night, you know, you have no idea that they're doing that. And I mean Simba did that and he would literally just meow and meow and meow for days and days and on on ends. But like you that it, still doesn't give you a reason to hurt your child or any child for that matter, regardless of well, how no, sleep deprived you are. I to- I totally one hundred percent agree. I I get. I guess in a way, I'm mind. trying to like give her like the benefit of the doubt. You know. Um, I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I'm only halfway through this bullet. Oh fuck! Okay, finish the bullet. Please continue. <laughs> When she was released, she left her now two-month-old daughter in a bassinet on the railroad tracks where a train was supposed to be traveling down soon. She stole an axe and threatened to kill several people in town. Luckily, there was a man known as Old Ted foraging in the forest near the train tracks, and he saw Melissa, rescued her reportedly minutes before the train passed. Catherine was arrested and sent back to St. Elmo's, where she recovered and checked herself out the next day. Well, goddamn fuck her. Yeah, so do you now feel like we're understanding her state of mind? No, she was just fucking crazy. Well, yeah, she... Oh my... What? (laughs) I just completely did a 180. You did a 180. That was a real quick 180, too. So a couple days after she she shook her baby, she went in because of postpartum depression, and then she fucking left her baby, her baby's bassinet on a fucking train track. Exactly. What? What? (laughs) Wait. Okay. Wait. Maybe. Maybe we're misunderstanding. Is this a full size train, or is this like one of the trains that goes under your Christmas tree? Because I mean, if it's under the Christmas, (laughs) oh, it's a whole ass train. We're just, we got to clarify. A couple days after this incident, Catherine used one of her knives to slash a lady's face and forced the lady to drive her to Queensland. The lady escaped when they stopped at a service station. But when police got there, Catherine had taken a boy hostage and was threatening him with the knife. Police disarmed her with brooms and arrested her again. This time she was taken. Brooms, yes, her? like you sweep How your did kitchen they with. Arm her with brooms. <laughs> this time she was taken to Morset Psychiatric Hospital, 
where she told nurses her initial plan was to kill the mechanic at the service station because he fixed Kellett's car, which allowed him to leave. And then she was going to go to Queensland to kill Kellett and his mom. And when police told Kellett this, he left his girlfriend, moved back to Aberdeen with his mom to support Kathleen. Why? But wait, so literally once she said that she was planning to kill him, he literally came back so that he could support her. Did that show her dedication? Yes. Like in his Correct. mind, is he like, oh yeah, she's real dedicated to me. That's great. I don't understand this. Yeah, I just don't get the thought process of Kellett. Is it? Am I saying it right? I just don't get the process yeah. of Kellett going through that whole mindset oh what she she figured that she was gonna kill me what oh well and his mom and and my and my fucking mom well shit what the hell like let's not move down there so that she can have a better chance to fucking kill me and my mom like what okay better question why isn't she in jail because now she has tried to kill her child twice plus a bunch of other people he kept getting sent to psychiatric hospitals, and the one time the police tried to arrest her, he talked her out, or excuse me, she talked her husband out of pressing charges. Because a lot of people said, like, she had a temper and she would get so angry, but, like, Kellett's mother so her mother-in-law said that she was always just the sweetest woman she was charming she was super nice so apparently she would just fly off the deep end and then she would somehow charm her way right back into these men like these men's lives and she did it is she constantly bipolar? she's not no so Catherine was released in august of 1976 to the care of her mother-in-law both women, along with Kellett, moved to Ipswich, where Catherine got a job at Denmore Meatworks. March 6th of 1983, Kellett and Catherine had another daughter, Natasha Marie. Throughout this whole time, she still has the, the pride and joy on her walls, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, a year later, in 1984, Catherine left Kellett and moved back in with her parents in Aberdeen before moving again to Muswellbrook. She went back to work at the, him? It doesn't, no. She went back to work at the Avatar, but hurt her back a year later, and she went on disability, receiving a pension and a housing commission residence in Aberdeen from the government. So at this point, she's not working anymore. Oh, the life. In 1986, Catherine met David Saunders, a 38-year-old minder. Minor, excuse me. Minder? This... Minder, yeah. This relationship began as an affair with both Saunders and Catherine cheating on their respective partners. After a few months, he moved in with Catherine and her daughters, but he kept his apartment in a different town called Scone. It didn't take long for Catherine to show her true colors. She would often kick him out because she would get jealous about what he was doing when she wasn't around. And then later she would show up at his apartment begging him to come back home. In May of 1987, to provide an example of what she'd do if he cheated on her, she walked into the backyard and sliced the throat of his two-month-old dingo puppy 
and then she knocked him unconscious with a frying pan. What the f- We got Simba at two months old. Like, maybe nine months old. Like, he was the cutest thing. I know that I'm talking about a cat and not a dog, but he was the cutest thing in the goddamn world. And literally, I feel like dogs, baby dogs, baby puppies are, like, more than the cutest thing in the entire <laughs> world. Like, what? No. No. Speaking of puppies, my mom's dog had puppies. I'll send you guys pictures afterwards. Anyways. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. Yes. I... I- why 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 the pu- i bet you anything they spent a good freaking do you guys know how much dogs are right now holy go freaking look up the price of a bernie doodle for like five grand what the fuck is a bernie doodle she uh, inu she inu they're literally five fucking grand uh-huh. yeah no joke uh a bernie doodle is it's a burmese mountain dog with a poodle they look like giant teddy bears I'll send you a picture later. You want to know a secret? Yeah. I haven't even gotten to the bad part. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't want to know your secrets anymore. I thought it'd be something good. (sighs) That was... This is kind of fun. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. In June of 1988, Catherine gave birth to a third daughter named Sarah. Saunders put a deposit on a house soon after, and Catherine paid it off with her workers' compensation a year later in 1989. And she decorated the entire house, including the ceilings, with animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. And you can go to that next picture, and it's kind of blurry, but that is the ceiling of her house. But why? Um, at the, what looks like a door on the ceiling. Uh, well, there's a door on the wall. And then there's the ceiling. And it looks like a broom. And it looks like some type of, I, I don't even know what that would be. Looks like, like a sharp farming equipment all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. And then there's like a somewhat pitchfork and there's something that she would use as a torch i don't know like a long torch and then another pitchfork and then also as well on the right hand side of the door there are something that looks like antlers i can't explain it any other way it just looks like what they're just horns okay well yeah it looks like horns off of some sort of like off of a bull. Maybe cattle or something. Yeah. After an argument about Sanders, or excuse me, after an argument about Saunders coming home late one night, Catherine hit him in the head with an iron and stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. He then moved back to Scone again. But when he came back to Aberdeen, Catherine had cut up all of his clothes. Saunders went into hiding and nobody would admit to knowing where he was when Catherine tried to find him. He eventually came back to see his daughter and found out Catherine went to the police and claimed she was afraid of Saunders. So they issued her an apprehended, apprehended violence order, which is basically a restraining order against Saunders. And I'm sorry if y'all can hear that. Apparently someone's trying to break into my neighbor's car. 
1998, Catherine had another child, a son named Eric, with 43-year-old former abattoir co-worker John Chillingworth. I couldn't find much on their relationship, uh, but it was said to have lasted three years before she left him for John Price, the man she was having a long-time affair with. How many kids does she have now? She has four. Eric was her fourth child. So she very Three girls much, and a boy. She let them outnumber her. And that's where she went wrong. Yes, that, that is where <laughs> she went wrong. That's, that's where it went. Hey, I want three kids, maybe four. So four isn't that bad. <laughs> that's where you're going to go wrong, too. I'm just telling you, once they yeah. outnumber you, there's power in numbers. Okay? Once they outnumber you, you're going to be hitting your husband in the back of the head with a frying pan. So if y'all will go to that third photo, that is a photo of John Charles Thomas Price, or Pricey, as his friends called him. He was liked by everybody, and he had a reputation for being a terrific bloke. When his marriage ended in 1988, he had three children with his first wife, who said Price wasn't violent and he was a good provider. His two-year-old daughter stayed with his ex-wife while his two older daughters moved in with him. And when Catherine moved in with Price in 1995, he was aware of her violent reputation. However, his daughters loved her and he was making a lot of money working in the mines. And besides some violent arguments. His daughters? Yeah, his, his daughters, daughters loved her? Yep. They got along really well. Besides some violent arguments, their life together seemed positive. Three years after moving in with Price, him and Catherine fought over him refusing to marry her. From what I found, he just didn't want to be married again. And he didn't want his house to go to another woman. He wanted it to go to his daughters. So that's another reason he didn't want to be married. Well, Catherine was pissed that he would not marry her. And they fought about this a lot. So after one particularly bad fight, to kind of even the score, Catherine videotaped items that Price had allegedly stolen from work and sent the tape to his boss. The items were expired medical kits that Price had literally taken from the trash. But his boss's hands were tied, so Price was fired after working at the mines for 17 years. How does that do anyone any good to get him fired? Um, it didn't because he went home and kicked her out of the house that day. Good. And then a few months later, they rekindled their relationship. Bad. But he refused to allow Catherine to move back in with him. I mean, yeah, seriously, if you're going to do that after one measly little fight, like, what are you going to do after a fight to, like, I don't know, have more kids or whatever? I'm glad you asked what else that she would do. Because I'm about to tell you. After this fight, after that one particularly bad one where he kicked her out and she got him fired, uh, when they got back together, he lost a lot of his friends and a couple of family members. They stopped talking to him because they refused to associate with him as long as he was in a relationship with Catherine. The fights got worse. And in February of 2000, a series of assaults that ended with Catherine. I'm sorry. In February 2000, there were a series of assaults that ended with Catherine stabbing Price in the chest. 
And if you go to this fourth photo, this is a picture that was taken of them. Not long. They were at a party together. And this photo was taken not long before February 29th. He doesn't look like the same person as the first photo. Now, this is after they'd been together for a few years. I'll be honest, neither does she. Yeah, in this picture, she is about 63, 64 years old, somewhere in there. Okay. Versus that first picture. Yeah. So on February 29th, the uh, I believe it was the day after she stabbed him in the chest, Price took out a restraining order in an attempt to keep Catherine away from him and his daughters. And he did that on the way to work. That afternoon, he told his co-workers that if he didn't show up to work the next day, it would be because Catherine had killed him. They begged him not to go home that day, but he was afraid for his daughter's safety. So when he got home, Catherine wasn't there, but she had apparently sent his daughters to stay the night with some of their friends for a sleepover. So he spent the evening drinking with his neighbors before heading to bed at 11 p.m. Earlier that day, Catherine had gone shopping and she bought some new black lingerie. She also spent time with her children, videotaping them and... On the videotape, she was said to have been making some odd comments that were described as kind of like a crude will. She later got to Price's house while he was sleeping and she watched the TV before taking a shower. After her shower, she woke up Price and the two had sex before Price went back to sleep. At 6 a.m. the next morning, the neighbor became worried when he noticed that Price's car was still in the driveway. Price's boss also became worried when the usually reliable man didn't show up for work, so he sent a worker to Price's house to check on him. Both the neighbor and the co-worker together tried knocking on the bedroom window, but they got no answer. They didn't hear anything. And when they went around to the door, that's when they noticed blood. So they called the police. Police arrived to the Price house on March 1st, 2000. One officer recalled that when he walked in, there was like a sheet or a blanket hanging up directly in an archway blocking entry to the home. So he reached out to like move it aside. And when he did, he felt something cold and he looked at his arm and it was covered in blood. And that's when he realized the object hanging was a human skin and it was hanging from the door frame. Wait, wait what? a second. Wait a second. So what so there was essentially like something hanging from the door frame. And mm -hmm. they thought that it was a sheet. And then it ended up being human skin, so essentially something was fleshed. Head to toe human pelt. Yes. What? Oh my god, that's disgusting. I literally hate you. That's that's so gross. I Mm. what so there was you're fucking with us right no i'm like this isn't real i am a, is not real life i'm a thousand percent serious i hate you so much right now oh reportedly blood was everywhere there was a trail leading down the hall and outside the kitchen door price's body was found in a chair with his left arm propped up on an empty 1.25 liter soda bottle with his head missing and his legs crossed. Well, they did say that she did this specifically to defile him and defile him. Yes. Like, what do you mean defile him? Um, after to basically 
destroy him. I can't. Okay, go on. All right. So Price's head was found in a large pot on the stove with numerous vegetables and was still warm between 40 and 50 degrees Celsius, which is 104 to 122 degrees Fahrenheit. So she stayed up well into the night because the cops got there at about 8 a.m. And when they found this, it was still warm. This head stew that she made was still really warm. So she eat that. Um, steaks sliced from Price's buttocks with baked potatoes, pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy were plated and sitting on the table. Each dish had a paper towel underneath and place cards with Price's children's names on them. Oh, no, I am not going to no. lie. This sounds like some goddamn Hannibal shit. She was later referred to as the female Hannibal Lecter. I mean, yeah, up. no fucking does. She literally served his goddamn buttocks as a fucking placeholder for his... What? Luckily, his kids never came home. But they do think, the police think the way everything was set up, that they were supposed to come home at a specific time and she was going to serve them this meal. Okay, I was just going to ask, was she in the house when the police found all of this stuff? Or was she in a separate place and then she was going to come back later just in case, you know, somebody actually came to see if Price was okay? I will get into that, um, but I will say she was very quickly apprehended. Okay. If his body, his skinned body is sitting there, how did she expect to get his children in the house without being freaked out because their dad is obviously dead and skinned and missing his damn head and part of his buttocks? How is it? How are they going to go in and just eat dinner? Are we allowed to go to the next picture? Because I already did. Uh, sure. Because <clears throat> I don't okay. know if you're going to know what I think this will clarify. This will clarify my question. Because this is a layout of their house. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying if the girls come in the front door, look over in the living room, he's right there. How are they going to continue into the dining room for her to serve them anything? I don't know how well she planned this out. But she Definitely planning this out. Plan this out. Okay, I'm sorry. I went ahead and pulled up the picture because I could see what it was, but go on. So a third meal was found thrown into the backyard, and it was suspected that Catherine actually tried to eat that plate herself, but she couldn't, and she just threw it out the back door. She couldn't, meaning she physically could not bring herself to do it, or couldn't, meaning... She was caught in the act and she had to throw it away really fast type of thing. Uh, she wasn't caught in the act. So it, it probably would have been uh, the police thought that maybe she tried and just could not bring herself to eat it. Police also found a note written on a photograph of Price that was covered in tiny pieces of flesh and stained with blood that said, Time got you back, Jonathan, for rapping. Or raping my doubter or daughter, you to Beck, who is Price's daughter, for Ross, for little John, who is his son, 
Now play with little John's dick, John Price. What? I'm sorry, can you say that again? What it is supposed to read is, Time got you back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You to Beck for Ross, for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. And Beck is John Price's daughter, and little John was his son. Who is Ross? It didn't say. He is from this a show called Friends. <laughs> Him and Rachel are a real great character. <laughs> they were taking a break. <laughs> yes. Now, the allegations in that note were later found to be a lie. He never raped her daughter. Like, none of that. They think it's just BS. Confused about the whole, the whole, now play with your wiener, little John. Like, I'm confused on that. Do you want to, or are you going to expend on that part? They basically, she'll later say that she didn't do this. So she has never claimed memory of this entire thing. So the police have no idea what this note means. They just know that he never raped Catherine's daughter. Um, I, I'm still, I'm hung up on the wiener comment. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Did she like chop it off afterward? Like, uh, well, she skinned it. That was that was the sexiest sound I've ever think I've heard you say ever. Ever. Please, please make that sound again. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, all I want is just a fucking voice recording of you doing that every single. <laughs> You can put it as your notification, so anytime you get a text, that's what you're gonna hey, hear. That's hey, gonna be the group text sound. Hey, you are a beautiful-ass <laughs> motherfucking human being. Don't you ever tell yourself that you were anything otherwise. You know, I'm actually gonna make your text messages, like, I don't know, a fucking sound from the wannabe girls, the Spice Girls wannabe, like... Tell me what you want, what you really, really oh. want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. <laughs> Which, if anyone was wondering, that was the inspiration for our intro song. We told James we wanted something sassy, and we all agreed that wannabe was the sassy direction we wanted. Yes. Okay, Amanda, finish, okay. finish before I puke. <laughs> Catherine was quickly apprehended. And taken to the hospital after she was found asleep in Price's bed after taking a number of pills. They think she was trying to, she was either trying to commit suicide or she was, air quotes, trying to commit suicide. You're saying that she was trying to commit suicide or she was trying to get attention for trying to commit suicide? Yes. Okay. Couldn't they technically be able to tell how many milligrams she took and based on that, whether or not she was trying to commit it? Or was that kind of like a separate thing? Uh, they can, but also it could have been a knowledge issue. She might not have known mm -hmm. or she could have claimed that she didn't know how much to take. And so she didn't take enough to overdose or she could have known to only take X amount so she doesn't overdose. Yes. My question is, currently, what time is it? Like, what year? 2000. Okay. So it's the same rough time period. 
Is it 2000? <laughs> it is 2000, yes. Like 20 years ago. Hey, this is in 2000. Yes. Like, that's pretty damn recent. Yep. That was 21 years ago. If there was a child born that day, they are a grown-ass adult and they can buy alcohol. Okay, you don't have to say mean shit like that, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) So if y'all want to go to that fifth photo, it's kind of hard to see, but basically it's a map of the house and you'll see a number one in the bedroom, number two in the hall. There is a three out the front door and then it goes back to four. Five is in the living room and six is in the doorway. So an autopsy later said that Price was stabbed at least 37 times in the front and back of his body, hitting multiple vital organs. According to blood evidence, Catherine had stabbed him with a butcher knife while he was sleeping. Price woke up at some point and tried to run, making it out the front door before he either stumbled backwards or he was dragged back inside where he bled out. Some point. I think it was after that first knife went in or that first stab wound is probably when he woke well, up. My thing is if he were walking into the hall, wouldn't she and you know she kind of like went out behind him, wouldn't she be stabbing him in the back? Well it she she said that it was thirty seven times in his front chest and in his back. So we already know that he was stabbed in the back and on okay. the front. And it was at least flipped around thirty seven times because there were parts of his body missing. So they don't know if she could have potentially stabbed him more before she skinned. Wait, him. what other parts of his body yeah. were missing? Well, she cut his head off. She skinned him first and then she cut his but head off. They knew where the head was. And his butt. But they don't know if she like might have stabbed him in the neck while he was running or while he was laying in bed. So that's why they say at least 37 times because they found proof okay. of him being th- stabbed 37 times. So she stabbed him 37 times and then essentially she cut off all of she skinned him. And then she cut his head mm-hmm. off. She actually stabbed him at least 37 times. And while he was bleeding out in the living room, she took his debit card and went to town and withdrew $1,000 from his account. And they have still never found where that money went. And then she came back and skinned him. And then she started cutting him apart and cooking him so then a, a like two hour like what like okay well i just fucking killed the guy so i'm gonna take his card i'm gonna go over to like the nearest shopping center i'm gonna go shopping for myself spend you know like a, a thousand dollar like shopping spree then i'm gonna come back and and i'm gonna fucking cut his head off and i'm gonna fucking ski skin him like what girl they don't know where she went out with the money because uh, it was like, this was early, early hours of the morning. They just know that she went to an ATM and took $1,000 out of his account. That money's never been accounted for. And then she came back and uh, cooked dinner. I mean, I feel like in a way, because it's 2000, they would have checked like security cameras or whatever. So she most likely didn't go on a shopping spree. She most likely like went to an underground bar or something like that. And like, that's just 
spending a thousand dollars at like a gambling place like that's just scary as fuck i mean 2000 is still pretty early i don't feel like every single angle of everywhere was covered with a camera in 2000 i mean that's much more you're right you're right i just i know that computers and everything were like definitely getting a lot more popular and i know that in the in 1999 um some people were scared of like computers being able to transfer over to like the 2000s or whatever and so i just know that a bunch of secure computers were in programs so i don't really know how well quality or how I just know that in the 2000s, there definitely right. were security cameras. I just don't know how many of them there were. So you're mm-hmm. right. You're right. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like they were as prominent. It's not like with the ring doorbells where everyone has a camera on their front door at this point. You know, I, I think it's very different where she could have gone any number of places that did not have a security camera. So one source that I found... Oh, so several hours after Price died, Catherine, the source stated that Catherine skinned him with what Supreme Court Justice, excuse me, Supreme Court Judge Justice O'Keefe stated was a considerable expertise and an obviously steady hand. It was said to have been so expertly done that after the autopsy, the skin was able to be re-sewn back onto Price's body in a way that indicated a clear methodology. They think that it took her about 40 minutes to skin him head to toe. Oh my god, don't. Scares the living heebie-jeebies out of me. Scares the ever-loving shit out of me. Like, what? 40 minutes? Yeah. And I actually read, like, exactly how she did it, but I'm not going to go into all that because it was... Yeah, please don't. It was... They went into detail, okay? That's all I'm going to say. So after recovering in the hospital, Knight was interrogated and claimed to not remember anything that happened after she and Price had had sex that night. However, court-appointed psychiatrists later deemed her sane at the time of the murder. She originally offered to plead guilty to manslaughter. However, that was rejected. And with charged with the murder of John Price, she pled not guilty. Her trial was originally set for July 23rd, 2001. And it was later moved to October 15th of 2001. Before choosing the jury, the judge gave the potential members the option to be excused due to the nature of the photographic evidence. And five people accepted. Several more later dropped out, and after the jury members were chosen, the judge adjourned for the day. The next morning, Catherine changed her plea to guilty, and the jury was dismissed. Justice O'Keefe ordered a psychological examination, and Catherine was ruled to have been sane and fit to make a guilty plea. The psychiatrist concluded that Knight suffered from borderline personality disorder. No reason was ever given for the plea, for the guilty plea. And Catherine has never accepted responsibility for her actions. Borderline personality disorder is, it's a mental disorder characterized uh, by behavior and unstable moods and relationships. According to Google, it's still not really understood all that well. They diagnose it based on symptoms but the symptoms include emotional instability, feelings of worthlessness, insecurity, impulsiveness, 
and impaired social relationships. From my understanding, and I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist by any means, but that does explain how some people are like, oh, she's so charming or she's so well behaved. And then something would just piss her off. And now she is just a raging frying pan wielding maniac. So on November 8th, Justice O'Keefe sentenced Catherine to life imprisonment due to the nature of the crime and lack of remorse. For the first time in Australian history, a woman was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So in two, on November 8th of 2001, Catherine Knight was the first woman to be sentenced to life without parole in Australia. Catherine appealed the life sentence in June of 2006, stating her punishment was too severe, but it was dismissed in September and Justice Peter... Too severe? I was gonna say, well, yeah, no fucking duh. Like, you're... It, it it's was not too severe. In September. Like, it, you, you fucking killed a man, skinned him, and fucking cut off his head. Like, and then no, went to feed no. him to his yeah, daughter. Literally attempted to feed him to his daughters. Like, no fucking duh. I mean, you, you got appealed. Like, it... You, you can't like that's you're, it's not too severe is what we're you're, saying you're cut like i i can't do you anymore just shut up so it was dismissed by three justices by three judges and one of them justice peter mcclellan wrote in his judgment quote this was an appalling crime almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society Catherine is now living out her days in Silverwater Women's Correctional Center. She's said to have found religion and spends her time knitting, painting, and helping other women at the prison settle their disputes. She's known as the Nana by other prisoners, and she rarely receives a phone call or a visit from family. Because they're all afraid they're going to be murdered and skinned. I have two things to say to that. Number one is... Well, you're damn well right your fucking family doesn't want to visit you. Like, shit. Like, <laughs> I, I don't even care if it was 20 years ago. Actually, it was 21 years ago at this point in time. I don't care if it was 20 years ago. Like, you fucking murdered somebody. You skinned them. You cut their head off. You attempted to feed them to your children. Your stepchildren. Whatever. And... His children. Yeah. His own yeah. children. Yeah. It, no, no fucking die. Your family doesn't want to vis visit you. Number two is I'm glad that she has actually found some place where she can strive, where she can actually be a motivator for some people. I don't even care what she does. Um, I have a question. Okay. Does she sell her knitting work on Etsy? That's a good question. I don't know. Is it bad that I kind of want one? I would like one? to purchase something. <laughs> Let's see. I don't think that she that can thought. actually sell something through a correctional facility, though. Can you? I have no idea. Probably not. It's also Australia. I don't know. You're right. It could be completely different law. Yeah, I know in most of the United States, they have a law that bans uh, criminals from profiting off of stuff like that. But I don't know. But maybe instead of her profiting, 
it could go towards, you know, her victim's family. Just saying. And there is supposed to be a movie coming out on this, by the way. I believe Netflix has the rights. Damn, that's exciting. I already know this story. <laughs> Are we going to do a watch party? Oh my yes, God, can we? Do it. Yes, let's so do a watch party for on it. On like a Friday night, we should all just like literally, I mean, I say my boyfriend, but we should all just get drunk with our boyfriends, y'all's husbands, with my boyfriends. And y'all's husbands, and we should all just get super drunk and fucking watch it. That would be so fun. Uh, Amanda, you're not going to be invited to the drunk party. Except Amanda can drink orange juice and she can be good for her pregnancy. That sounds horrible. I want to be drunk, damn it. (laughs) Okay, what if... When's your due date again? Four weeks. Okay, so we just wait for six weeks, and that gives you at least a couple weeks of wiggle room, and then you can start drinking after that. Just formula feed. Well, I'm going to be breastfeeding, but that'll give me time to, like, uh, stock up and freeze some. Wait, I do have I'm to I'm doing say, a potty dance. Oh, go potty. I was wondering why you were <laughs> dancing. No, you... No, finish what you're saying, and then I'll go in between stories. Go. I was just going to say that... Um, I'm pretty fucking excited because North Little Rock came back and was like, hey, by the way, this isn't a safety thing. Y'all can smoke weed if you have a marijuana card. So as long as I'm not on call, this bitch is going to be getting really fucking high as long along with marijuana card. Yeah. Literally, I have. I have it for ulcerative colitis. Oh, my God. I am so sorry. I I know Dude, I'm not. I get weed. That. I <laughs> I mean I'm well. I just got to say I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that. Like I I can't even imagine. I literally get stomach aches like once every like two maybe three weeks mm-hmm. or one maybe two weeks I'll say and like. They're so bad. Like, I can barely move. I can't even imagine having ulcerative colitis. Like, that shit... I I mean, I've just heard the stories, and I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say it's not that bad, but, like, I didn't even know I had it. I thought this was, like... And it's going to sound fucking crazy. My doctor thought I was crazy. But I didn't even know I had it until, like... I got diagnosed when I was 29, I think, and I'm 31. I'm about to be 32. My doctor was literally like, why didn't you come in sooner? And I'm like, I don't know. I thought this was normal. And he's like, honey, this isn't, this isn't normal. Okay. Amanda, were you done with your story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not enjoy that story. <laughs> I also could not find a movie. Amanda... I think you might be taken off of true crime duties <laughs> for a hot minute. Um, I wasn't ready. <laughs> don't don't even say anything because what was it? It was you who did the fucking dolls, isn't it? Right. This was like, payback. No, no, you you can't. Like you you don't have a say in any of this. I'm sorry, I forgot about the doll. How did you forget about the dolls? Every time I see a fucking doll, I think about it. 
Um, I apologize, but also it was not. <laughs> I don't know. I have no excuse. It was a really good story, though. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was. It was. <laughs> hey. All right. Well, now that we are all thoroughly uh, fucked up from that story, Amanda, I think we can move on to our next story. I don't really know if I have it in me. And you're going to have to listen to it again when you edit. (laughs) I know. That's what's even fucking worse. I have to listen to it multiple, not just once, because as I'm editing, to listen to it then i have to go back and re-listen to all this shit maybe i'll make cody get it <laughs> i purposely did not include the crime scene photos just for you please don't yes <laughs> no that that's definitely a general consensus i don't want to see crime scene photos <laughs> unless they're of the location and of bones <laughs> kind of like what the the mcstay family was you know but I, I don't want to see the the, These the photo were, of um, a man with skins. They were no messy. Thing. So I did not include those. All right. Are you ready to just give us even more nightmares? <laughs> I sure am. Okay. This is the tale of Penhurst School and Asylum, one of the most horrific asylums and labeled the most haunted place by countless sites that have reported on it. The Penhurst School and Asylum, originally called the Eastern Pennsylvania Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic, was built in 1903 and opened in 1908 as a state-funded and operated facility. People sent anyone there they deemed, quote, feeble-minded or those who who were disabled with abnormalities physical or psychological, and those who were deaf, blind, and mute. The treatment of these people was shocking. In 1913, a commission of the feeble-minded was appointed in the United Kingdom, and from what I took of the sources that I found, the United States in a way took this as a recommendation. This commission essentially stated that disabled people were considered unfit for citizenship and recommended them to go into custodial care. And the United Kingdom... Yes. So if they're feeble-minded or disabled, they're not an American citizen? So this commission was essentially appointed by the United Kingdom and not by the United States. Oh, okay. So but many of the sources I found kind of made this a reason as to, and I'll get into this in a minute, but as to why the asylum was overpopulated. But by this time, Penhurst was already overcrowded, but many people living in Pennsylvania at the time had no choice but to send their relatives or friends or what have you to Penhurst because they were feeble-minded. By the mid-1960s, the asylum housed roughly 2,800 people. However, the president of the company states that it was only meant to hold about 1,984 people and 1,500 people comfortably. In 1968, a local correspondent for 
NBC10 named Bill Baldini revealed a five-part television series explaining and showing the horrors that happened here. And y'all, I watched this video when I tell you that it was horrifying, the images were terrifying. By the way, y'all can go ahead and look at the, the first image for sure. I'll tell y'all when y'all can look at the second image, but that's essentially like the main building. And if I'm being completely honest, I can't tell you which building it is exactly, but I think that it's just kind of the main building and where they just kind of house the, the people who were a little bit below the spectrum, those with Asperger's or something like that, but not 100% sure. Please don't quote me on that. So I highly recommend watching this video. Bill Baldini mostly focused on the children in the asylum as opposed to the adults because there were children and adults who were placed in the asylum. And the images are gruesome, ex including extremely malnourished and neglected children. I put this little quote in here. Don't, or it's not a quote, but I put this little thing in here just to explain to y'all how malnourished these children were. Think of how malnourished the victims of the Holocaust looked. That's how bad these children were, with barely any difference in the fat in their thighs and in their calves. And we also saw snips of people being tied to their beds with the bed sheet and their feet of old-time handcuffs. Think of the ones that are leather and the handcuffs. No, thank you. Think of the ones that are leather as the handcuffs and a string attached to them and their feet tied together with these handcuffs. Their feet are tied together with them? Go ahead and look at the, sorry, not the second picture, but the third and the fourth picture. You can kind of see it. I apologize. The images are bad quality, but that is actually... Those are actually photos from the Bill Baldini video that is currently posted on YouTube. Oh my god. Why does that foot look like it's deformed? The children were also forced to sleep in cribs. You can now go to the second picture. Some even looked to be, personally to me, about 10 years old due to their foot size, but could be older and younger depending on how malnourished those children were. He was also dressed in a cloth diaper, and many of the kids were dressed in cloth diapers from what I saw from the Bill Baldini video. I was just going to say I'm not 100% sure how many kids it showed, but I know from research this essentially was the treatment of these kids. Yeah, were they in diapers just so, like, people, so they didn't have to go to the bathroom? Because this looks, this child looks like he should be able to not wear a diaper. They essentially didn't care about the people, and so they wouldn't care if they would, for example, like, shit themselves I, I in the middle think, of the day. Ugh, with the story, they were of. also... I think they were also severely understaffed as well. So there were so many more patients compared to the employees in this case to begin with. That's only the first five minutes of the hour-long series on YouTube called Suffer the Little Children. Ben was reported by Distractify to have said, Think of a ward of infants and children from the ages of six months to five years old. There are 80 of them in metal cages. They have to attend to them every day, all day, 
These people were literally lying in their own feces for days. Going more in depth into this video that Bill Baldini reported, because I feel like this is kind of more of a first-hand source instead of a secondary source, and I kind of wanted to focus on this more than anything. There were only nine medical doctors and two psychiatrists working to help 2,800 children. Jesus. 2,800 people. Not necessarily children, but 2,800 people in total. Severely understaffed. Yeah. Going off of that, there were 11 teachers for roughly, I want to say about half of that was children. So roughly about 1,400 children. In Suffer the Little Children, which is the documentary that Bill Baldini provides, one of the medical doctors was quoted to have saying, we have found of late that it is quite to downgrade him a little bit and put him on a lot cottage with the artistic or hyperactive kids, or what they used to call the low grades. And they don't like this because apparently it makes them feel dumb. What this is trying to say is that essentially, Bill asked him, what would you do for the hyperactive kids? And the psychiatrist said that he would essentially put them in a low-grade facility where he would feel less than he was so that he didn't act out. And once he was, quote-unquote, back to societal levels, he would come back and he wouldn't act out for a certain amount of time. But that's only because he felt downgraded by being put into the lower grade levels. And Bill Baldini actually interviewed one of them and he said that this kid, he used to talk so much, he used to be so active, and after being put into a lower grade building where these lower grade people essentially were, he started to feel a lot less confident in himself. He started to talk less. He started to Honestly, it's so sad. I can't even explain how detrimental it was to their health at this point because this kid that we saw in the Bill Baldini video was honestly about 12 years old. So they basically broke their spirit. Pretty much. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Essentially, what they did was punish these kids for acting up by sending them to a place where they can't strive and a place where they felt dumb and underappreciated. Seems like the opposite of mental health, but okay. Keep in mind that this was also the 1960s. Bill also asks how he might treat a, per a child who is hyperactive. The doctor responds with, I have given some of them intravenous pentobartible. What is that? Is he talking about, I'm sorry, intravenous pentobarbital? Penobarbital, that's it. I have given some of them intravenous parbit. Say it again, Amanda. Penobarbital. Yeah. What the fuck? What is it? We use that to euthanize. Penobarbital sodium? That is euthanasia fluid. Intravenous is kind of like a mildized version of that. But yes, in the 1960s, so just it was used for children. Just to is clarify, this, yeah. 
intravenous is to administer into a vein. Yeah, IV. That's not what I read. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, it could be that um, because in high doses, it is used to euthanize, but it's a sedative, uh, which is probably how they were using it. Yeah, it is a sedative. According to drugs.com, it slows the activity of your brain and of your nervous system. The drug is used to treat insomnia and as emergency treatment for seizures, but nothing has to do with hyperactivity whatsoever. This doctor, quote unquote, was just giving these kids with hyperactivity any sort of drug that they could find that would calm them down so that they wouldn't be, I don't know, when I think of hyperactivity, I think of this person in my high school class who literally just like pounded the desk like nonstop, you know, or like shook his, you know, foot like up and down, like when we were taking an exam. I don't think of anything too extraneous, but apparently this doctor did and it was a problem. And so he gave these hyperactivity people this drug that's fucked up good god what i know i keep saying that but it gets worse i wasn't expecting nightmares tonight and i don't really appreciate it happy halloween question mark fuck you (laughs) that doesn't mean we have to go from freaking filleting a human open to (laughs) child abuse okay thank you me, it gets, it gets way worse, girl. Oh. Don't worry. I got okay. The doctor also goes into detail about how he was doing the dispensary one day, and a boy comes up to him with a big welt on the back of his head. Once the doctor finished the dispensary, he found that a kid had beaten the boy, and the kid said, Well, what are you going to do about it? He went to his DTM which was essentially his bodyguard type person, one of his employees, and asked him for, quotes the most painful injection that wouldn't do any harm to the patient. What? I was kind of caught on that too. How could you give somebody a painful injection without actually doing any harm to someone? What? <laughs> He proceeded to say that he went into the boy's cabin at night who had beaten the other boy and, quote, and then forced him, I mean, talked him into getting down on the bed. I didn't use any abuse on him and I gave him this injection. He really hit the ceiling over that, end quote. No, hard pass. No, thanks. He said he didn't use any abuse or anything, but you gave him a pointless injection, sir. This entire conversation had everything to do with just getting back at this boy. This boy, literally 15 years old. No, he might be a little shithead, but no. What the fuck? The video goes into more depth about the amount of money they get each day right around $5.90. Now, keep in mind that this was in in 1968 when this video was published. So I looked up what that would be today. Does anybody want to take a gander? 3246. I think in the 20s. Amanda was closer. It's 
$46.51. Holy crap. Keep in mind that that was for 22 employees. Literally the remainder of that cash went to the hospital and to the asylum and to the school. Think about literally $10 a day going to the asylum. That's roughly about the amount. According to this video as well, the Secretary of State visited just six weeks prior. All he said was, let's do everything we can to alleviate conditions at Penhurst and place Penhurst in the top priority for clearing up things. <laughs> okay. From what I understand, the Secretary of State literally did nothing. I mean, yes, he said that if you put in let's say, like a maintenance order for this, I will make sure to get it done. Or if you put in like a money order for this, maybe I'll be able to get it done. But he didn't do anything unless the president of the asylum literally put in multiple and multiple orders for it to get it done. This is still in 1968. And at this point, this asylum is at 2,800 people. The mass was supposed to be at 1984. There's nothing that these people can do because this is practically the only state asylum. So they can't send anybody anywhere else. So you said that it was the Secretary of State. So he comes in and he essentially just saw a piece of trash on the ground and walked past it and told somebody like, hey, pick that up. And then went home. Actually, what he did is he said that if you put in the order, I will get it done. And then he said later that if you put in the order, maybe I'll be able to get it done. Oh, he didn't give a shit. Pretty much. Okay. The video Suffer the Little Children then went into the building conditions and the walls were rotting. Pipes sticking out, holes in the wall, what looked to be discolored walls, as in the walls were so old that some areas a lighter shade of yellow, not really white. There was mold and tons and tons of mold. When I say there was mold, there was mold on the pipes, on the walls, literally everywhere. Hands down, that's just a terrible place to live. Like, you, that should be considered... What's even the word that I'm thinking of? It should have been condemned. Yeah, it should have been condemned. It should have been, like, considered an unhygienic place to live. He also spoke with the dietitian, and there were patients who could not eat whole foods, so they ended up pureeing vegetables, meats, carbs, and essentially whatever they could put into their meals. And the dietician said, we tried to put a bright color in this puree mass of food so that it's attractive to the eye, which was kind of bizarre because I feel like in a way, if you puree meats and vegetables and all of that, it's, and you put like a bright color or something, it's just, it doesn't seem very good. The next night, Bill showed what to be an ad for Penhurst explaining the many fun rehabilitation programs they offer to children. And later we hear that only 200 out of 2,800 people or 7%
of the children at Penhurst are enrolled in these re rehabilitation programs because the institution did not have near enough funds in the facility to keep these kids and to help these kids and to get them rehabilitation programs. It is also reported saying there are 900 women in Penhurst and no gynecologist on staff and only 11 teachers and none of them are certified in special education programs. And keep in mind that this is an asylum for the feeble-minded. It's honestly crazy to me. But because of all of these reasons, the children of Penhurst lacked the opportunity to progress to society's accepted levels. And they were not able to essentially go forth with anything. A lot of them didn't even get discharged from the asylum. A lot of them died there. According to Garan Blazeski from Vintage News, quote, the asylum staff would often tie patients to their beds and leave them alone for hours, if not the day. This meant many of them would be covered in their own feces by the time the orderlies returned. The staff would often remove all of the teeth of a patient who bit another patient or a staff member. In fact, this happened so often that even years after the asylum was closed, visitors would find teeth in the tunnels. They would End just quote. pull their teeth out for biting someone? What well, the fuck? I'm not exactly sure how accurate the statement is because I've read a plethora of articles and none of them specifically said this. However, Bill did not touch on seeing someone without their teeth. However, in 1983, nine employees, keep in mind that there are really only 22 employees in the entire facility, were indicted for assaulting patients, which resulted for some in wheelchairs and some of the orderlies were were reported to arrange patients to fight with each other. And this could have something to do with their teeth coming out in that they either had to fight with the orderlies or they had to fight with other patients because the orderlies were forcing them to. That's fucked up. What the fuck? Yeah. Because the situation was so bad at this point, it violated the 14th Amendment, stating that privileges that all humans born in the United States have, and the 8th Amendment that prohibits cruel and unusual punishment, as well as the Pennsylvania Mental Health and Retardation Act of 1966, which stated that the community must provide adequate mental health facilities, including that of short-term rehabilitation facilities and specialized rehabilitation training, which, as we know, this did not as a state facility. And the findings led Penhurst Asylum to close shortly after the court hearing in 1983, and in 1987, the asylum officially closed. The upper campus was reopened as the Southeastern Veteran Center, which, as far as I know, and as far as Google knows, is still open today. Why? Why would you want that <laughs> mojo, that voodoo bullcrap in your anything? No, no. Well, the southeastern campus that they opened up isn't as haunted as the other campuses because it was more of 
an actual treatment center? I wish I could say that, but it was more of the, and I hate to say this, but I also said the low level. It was more of the upper level groups. It was the people who were able to walk, who were able to talk properly, and the people who didn't necessarily have any mental disabilities per se. They were just in a way a little bit slower than the other kids who were considered low level. And so, I mean, they were also still treated very badly, but they weren't to the extent that the lower level were treated. I hate saying lower level, but that's just kind of what Penhurst says. Also, in 2010, the administration building was renovated and repurposed as the Penhurst Asylum Haunted House. Paranormal investigators have captured a number of paranormal sightings. In the Whitman building, investigators reported the sound of some vomiting in the background. Loud noises have been heard coming from the second floor of the Rockwell building, and after digging further into what might have created sound, investigators concluded a large desk was moved and dropped in the hallway. And to support this, there were skin marks in the dust and on the floor. Y'all can go ahead and go to the fifth picture. I'm so sorry I didn't say that before. You can't really see it all that much but it's essentially like a rough outline of the main buildings in Penhurst. Are the main ones blue? No the main ones are not blue. Devon Hall from what I remember is the hall that was actually converted into the Veterans Center. The most north one is the administration building which was converted into the haunted house. From what I understand, the Mayflower building was roughly about the most haunted building. It was really the Mayflower and I can tell you the code name for the building. I just can't remember the actual building name, but it was called the Low Level Building or the Low Q Building, which was essentially the lower level building that they put all the lower kids in. Also, they punish the higher level kids for being too much. Yeah. Staff have also seen curtains splitting apart on the floor of the Hershey building. This is weird, is because a metal grave between the inside of the room and the curtains prevented any living person from physically moving them. So like no. there was a grate on the inside of the window and then the curtains and then the window? Yes. No. Mm -mm. Oh, hell no. Uh-uh. Many people have reported shadows and shadow figures, the sound of children giggling, and full-bodied images of people who aren't really there. Upon further investigation, other sightings and or hearings have occurred such as the sound of door slamming, many electronic voice phenomenon or EVPs, physical objects moving, the feeling of being touched, and many disembodied voices. Ghostresearch.org said that during a walkthrough, a man reported hearing a disembodied voice telling him to get out in the Philadelphia tunnels. This was right under the Philadelphia building. 
They also report that, quote, there is a wooden set of doors deep within the Rockwell tunnels where the ghost of Charlie has been encountered, end quote. This is honestly where my research just kind of went bizarre and I can't explain it any other way. I'll tell you, I researched Charlie from the Penhurst Asylum multiple times. Charles, any variation of Charlie that you could find, I could not find anything other than his death record in the cemetery. This was from the Penhurst Memorial Cemetery Memorials page. Now, keep in mind, I'm not exactly sure when the cemetery for the asylum was closed, and I did a ton of investigative work to get this for y'all, but all I could find is that it closed when the asylum closed in 1987. However, according to the memorial page for the Penhurst Asylum, a majority of those who were born in the early 1900s, between roughly 1900 and 1910, died in the 1920s. This stuck out to me because when I say the majority, I mean roughly about 90%. I probably researched about 100 different names, and they all died in the 1920s, ranging from 1917 to 1934. On this website, there are death certificates that are public for anyone going onto the website and issued by the Penhurst State Asylum or some as the Eastern Institution for the Feeble-Minded. And keep in mind that there, that was their original name, the Eastern State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epilept Epileptic. The cemetery could have easily just closed down after so many people died, but I really could not find any information on this whatsoever. So my question is what was happening to these kids coming into the asylum. The asylum, it had its first patient in 1908, and by 1920, or roughly by 1918, these kids were just dying. Like, it was crazy. After roughly 1935, I couldn't find any information on any of the victims who had died who had maybe been buried in the cemetery, and I couldn't find any information on the patients. Get this, most of the kids who died around this time period were ages 12 to 16. Not only that, but many of the causes of death on these death certificates say something like acute catarrhal laryngitis or epilepsy or septicemia asthenia. But many others, or those who are older, or may have died from a physical action, such as falling into the pool and drowning, gave a lot more detail in the report. Acute catarrhal laryngitis is a condition resulting in inflammation of the voice box due to overuse, irritation, or infection by virus. This can lead to difficulty in breathing or swallowing and coughing with blood if not treated in two weeks' time. Epilepsy is being diagnosed with having seizures over a consistent time period. And septicemia, asthenia, is blood poisoning by bacteria in the, mo in the body's most extreme response to an infection. And it kind of scares me that. Most of these kids were 12 to 
16 because when you think about the amount of research that went into medicines to all this types of stuff that during the 1960s, it just, it kind of scared me a little bit. And when I tell you, I did so much research on this specific thing because you never know what type of stuff goes into this. Apparently in Rockwell Tunnel, there are these doors called Charlie's Doors. And investigators have essentially said that these are the doors that a patient named Charlie died at, but we don't know who exactly he is, whether he was a patient or a an orderly. It's deemed in a way that it's a patient because of the amount of abuse, but these doors essentially at the Rockwell Tunnels are the doors that so many people have reported just voices and people touching them and doors that I don't want to be around. Yeah. From the sounds of it. Doors that I'm just going to leave closed. I don't care to go in there. You don't want to go for an adventure, Amanda? No, thank you. Not with Charlie's doors. I dare you. Triple dog dare you to touch them. Damn it. Now I got to touch them. Put one finger on it and then run away. I could do that. There have been so many sightings of ghosts and paranormal just beings. It's been honestly reported the most haunted place in the United States. It's a little odd because the administration building that they opened up ended up not being as haunted as the other buildings because the administration building was the building where, say, the president resided. There just wasn't as much fucked up shit happening in that building. Yeah, like not much trauma. Yeah, exactly. But there was a shit ton of just trauma and stuff going on in every single other building, which I literally hate because you, if you open up a haunted house, shouldn't you open up to the most fucked up building? (laughs) Depends on what's going on in that building. If there's possessions, probably don't open up that building. How much would one pay for a possession? It is the cost of touching Charlie's door. Oh, I can't afford it. (laughs) What I can understand about the Bill Baldini video, a lot of the kids and of the adults literally just wanted to get out. That's all they ever wanted. And society didn't accept them. And so it honestly breaks my heart, like, the amount of people who were just stuck in there. Charlie, and there have also been voices reported of Sarah, and of Lionel, and Harold, and, I mean, just countless others. It's sad that, yeah, like, all they wanted their entire life was to just go home, and they're still there. Yeah. I don't like that. No. The story kind of got to me where like all these people were just, they were just put in this place and they had, they didn't have any other choice. See, places like this, I don't, I don't understand why it's still standing. Like places that are just this traumatic and hold this much sadness, just to fucking tear it down like why why are we keeping it 
Also, if you're thinking about the ghosts, that's where they know that's their home. So if you tear it down, you're going to leave a whole bunch of ghosts homeless and ready to attach to you instead. Okay, I didn't say I was tearing it down, but like, is it so bad to tear this down and have these people that are trapped here still just like, hey, okay, I'm sorry that you don't have a place to go, but look, that shithole's gone. Like, let's just tear it down and plant a nice rose garden. Like, I don't think that really matters to spirits. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't talk to spirits on a regular basis, but... Ask them if you ever see one. I'll be honest with you. I think that spirits are trapped in a certain vicinity because they were not content with their current... With their life that they died at. And, I mean, this is just kind of my theory. I don't... I'm not an expert on this kind of stuff. But... I think that they just kind of, they reside there because they're not really happy and because essentially they're depressed ghosts. And so they just decide to reside in the same place, just kind of a depressed human might if they were depressed. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I I think there's just a, a plethora of different reasons about why a spirit could be stuck there. Also, I mean, they're they're trapped there for one reason or another. A lot of times they, they're not going to move on because they don't know. Or they don't know how to find that peace because they never had peace while living. So sad. But I mean, I totally agree. At the end of the day, it just kind of depends on what you do in your lifetime, you know, and where you end up and how you choose to live with that. This was a rough one. That was really rough. You guys kind of fucked me up for that one. And I... <laughs> Don't really appreciate it. Um, I will get my payback. You know I love the fucked up shit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, but at the same time, please don't fuck me up too much. <laughs> do you want me to do another doll story? <laughs> Honestly, I'll be honest with you. If you really want to fuck me up, that shit won't get to me. Okay, what does? I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to, you'll have to see. Well, that's not fair because Amanda told me what gets to her, which I know is dolls. Now it's your turn. Clowns get to me. <laughs> You're real fucked during the, who was it? Who's the clown murderer? John uh, Wayne Gacy. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy. Oh, Pogo. Yes. Pogo the clown. <laughs> okay, I just want to say I don't appreciate the nightmares I'm going to have tonight, but I do appreciate the story time. It was really good. <sighs> when I have a nightmare in the middle of the night, I will be calling each of you individually seven different times. Okay. seven. I'm not saying it's going to be... Is that your lucky number? No, it just sounded like a good number. Mm. Okay. It sounded better than three. So are you going to call us seven times in a row? Or are you going to call me and then Brie and then me and then Brie and then me and then Brie like seven times mm. each? I haven't decided yet. I can 100% guarantee you if you call my phone in the night, I will either not wake up or I'll text you. And if it's not a legit ass nine one one, I'll get with you when I wake up. No, no, no. I'll I'll answer being like, hello. Well, I'm just saying that when I have, and it's it might not even be tonight. It might be in a week from now. You guys don't know when I will strike. But when I have nightmares from this, you guys are getting personalized phone calls and text messages until you guys wake up and respond to me. We love you. I'm gonna text you pictures back. Are the pictures going to be of your middle finger? No, they're going to be of the kitchen. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> you would be 
blocked. I don't care. I am no, blocked. No, and you can literally just sent her pictures of the doll. Gosh. <laughs> no. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you everyone for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter or Twatter, as I apparently more affectionately know it as. If you want to support us, you can donate through Patreon. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. A big shout out to Amanda's hubby, James, for creating our intro music. Thanks, babe. Yeah, thanks, James. Thank you. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe. And that's all I have. Do you guys have anything else to add? I was just going to say VTW, our Twitter and podcast is, our Twitter and Instagram is at Hell on Heels Podcast. Oh, hey, thanks for doing that part. I forgot. I just was hoping they could <laughs> mind read. Hi, Sean. It's <laughs> all good. All right. Thanks for making it this far and hanging with us. Yeah, this we time. really appreciate yeah. y'all and can't wait to see y'all next week. You'll hear from us again, and I will get my payback. Better not do anything clown related. Uh, I better not do anything (laughs) clown related. Oh, it's not what it is. I'm going to quote you on that. Literally next week, if you do anything clown related, I'm going to quote you on that. And you better damn well do another Listen, I don't think it's clown related. I mean, the person doing it is not a clown. And I never heard the word clown come up in the story before. So you're fine, I think. I will. (laughs) But now I will literally drive to Utah and throw pizza on your damn roof. You'll make the 17 hour drive (laughs) to waste a pizza. I got that analogy from Walter White. He literally threw pizza on his wife's roof. That one time that he was really mad. So, yes, that is what I plan to do. Okay, well, I'm safe because you got to find my house first and you got to get through the trees. So I have your phone number. I can easily track your phone number. Okay, have fun. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I would never do that. Please, no. <laughs> but still, please don't. All right. Well, this has been Hell on Heels. Thank you all for listening. And that's it for us. Ta-ta. See you later. Bye.